you turn to Isaiah chapter 51, I think we launched from here uh, last week. And I just felt the Lord put it in my heart again to do this week, um, to, to start from here, because we're not yet off this subject of multiplication and birthing multitudes. In order to birth multitudes, you have to be pregnant with multitudes. Amen? I know that sounds painful, ladies. But we're not speaking about physical birth, we're speaking about spiritual birth, aren't we? We're speaking about spiritual children. We're speaking about harvest. We're speaking about giving birth in the Spirit to sons and daughters. And as we're going to see today, we looked a little bit at it last week, we're going to see it again even clearer today, I hope, by the help of the Holy Ghost, that the blessing of Abraham is about birthing multitudes. Not just that, we'll look at what else it involves, but being of Abraham's seed means that you know, if you're of someone's seed, that means that their DNA is in you. Their genetic code is in you. You know, I, I pointed this out, um, I believe, in, in, in a, one of my Bible college classes and other places, that the last thing Jesus is recorded as saying in the book, in Revelation, a few verses before the end, is that he is of the seed of David. He's of David's stock. So, you know, that's important to understand that physically David was, sorry, yeah, Jesus, sorry, was born of David, you know, of David's lineage, okay? And so you and I need to know who our lineage is from. And as we've seen, and as you probably know, the Bible says that if you're of Abraham, if you're if you're Christ, then you are of Abraham's seed. So if you're a Christian today, then you are also of Abraham's seed. Uh, spiritually, and that's genetics, DNA, all of that. Um, and so that's important. So Isaiah chapter 51, we'll just read these verses. Listen to me, you who follow after righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Remember what Jesus said, Matthew's Gospel chapter 6, uh, that you seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Amen? So he says, if you're following after righteousness, if you're seeking the Lord, look to the rock from which you were hewn or cut out and to the hole of the pit from which you were dug. What he's saying is look to your origin, look to where you came from. And the Lord reminded me this week again uh, of this place. Okay? I... I wasn't uh, born again here, but, but two folks that are, that are here today were many, many decades ago. So we look to where we came from. Now, here it tells us specifically, as we read on, look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who bore you. But looking at our origins, looking where we came from, looking at the stock that we came from, for me that's always... In many ways, the apostolic church, that's where when I was a young boy, a young Christian, I went the apostolic. So I consider myself forever an apostolic, okay? And, you know, in Pentecostal circles, that's quite prestigious, I have to say that. You know, a lot of, a lot of people have said, oh, you're an apostolic, oh, wow. And I, I can tell you, uh, the apostolic church I went to and I was first saved, uh, there's people there that remember the early days, of D.P. Williams, the Tumbles, the Smith Wigglesworth, the George Jeffries, they were in the apostolic, but they were well known to Appies. 
So it's important to look where you came from. But we're looking here at Abraham, and there's a reason why he says, For I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. God is telling us by this scripture verse, and I believe by the Holy Spirit this morning, look to Abraham. There's a reason why. Look to Sarah. There's a reason why. Abraham was the father of multitudes, and Sarah was the mother of multitudes, the mother of nations, of many nations, our progenitors. Now, there are some people, and I count myself among them, that believe the British peoples are physically descended from ancient Israelites and therefore by Abraham. You don't have to believe that, but one thing you can be sure of, because the Word of God tells us, is that Abraham is the father of faith to them that believe he's our spiritual father, isn't he? So whether it's genetically, physically, or spiritually, or both, Abraham is our father. Amen? If you're here today, you're a believer in Christ, Abraham is your father, and you have his genetic and DNA code in you, spiritually speaking. Now, why is that important? It says, I called him alone. Now, we read that, and, and, and I even just this morning heard a guy, or read a guy preaching on this, uh, talking about Abraham was on his own or alone, and there's a truth to that, and the Hebrew can mean that, but if you study it out, you'll see um, that it actually means, he, the Hebrew doesn't mean one or alone, the way we think of it in our Western minds. It actually means, and, and this is the best way of putting it, he was a unified whole. He was a unified whole. He was, he was unified in himself. In other words, every person that would ever be in Abraham was in Abraham when God called him. And that means you and I were in Abraham with God. In fact, the scripture speaks about that later on. I think it's in Hebrews where it says that Levi paid tithes, sorry, tithes. Levi or Levi paid tithes to uh, Melchizedek because he was in Abraham's loins. And so, folks, when God called Abraham, he didn't call him as just one man, he called him with everybody that would ever be from Abraham in mind. And that's what that word alone means in the Hebrew. I shared that last week. He says, and I blessed him and increased him. And that word increase literally means multiply. I blessed Abraham and I multiplied Abraham. Now there are two things we need to understand from this. Because we're going to be looking this morning at the blessing of Abraham. I love preaching and teaching about the blessing of Abraham because it's such, I mean, put it this way, without the blessing of Abraham, you and I would still be failures in life, losers in life. We wouldn't actually, uh, we might be forgiven of our sins, but we'd have no power to walk in uh, holiness because the Bible tells us, Galatians chapter 3, Christ was made a curse for us that the blessing of Abraham might come upon us. So he didn't just take your sins on the cross. He didn't just take your sicknesses and diseases on the cross. He actually took the curse upon him. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon us. So it's a wonderful thing. He said that multiple. Now there's two things here I want us to see. The Lord's put this in my heart to say this morning. God uh, multiplied Abraham in two ways. He multiplied his seed. 
And we look at that, and he multiplied his supply. He multiplied his wealth. And that's what it says, that little phrase, I blessed him and increased him. In the Hebrew, what that means is, I made him rich, and I multiplied the man, I multiplied his seed. Now, I said this last week, Abraham was desperate for a bouncing baby boy. Uh, that was all he cared about, and God said, your vision's too small. Go outside and look at the stars, and then look at the sand. If you can count them, then you'll understand how multitudinous your seed will be. Of course, he couldn't count them. Because why? Because multitudes were in him. Multitudes were in Abraham. I called him with all those multitudes in him is what it's saying here. That word alone, that's what it means. I called him as a unified. All the multitudes were already in the man. And that's physically. And it's also spiritually. So, you know, it's, it's so important for us to understand that we have multitudes in us because we have his DNA in us. And I want to say this to you, the entire uh, purpose of the enemy, everything that the enemy does, I believe, is designed to do one thing in our lives, and that is limit us. You know how uh, when you start a business, they always put it, if you start a, a, a company, a registered company, they, they, they put uh, limited at the end, don't they? You know, because they don't want you getting too, too rich. <laughs> they don't want you getting too successful, so they limit you. See, the devil will always limit you. And what did it say in the, the Bible? What was the, the great problem with the ancient Israelites? They limited the Holy One of Israel. And we settle. We settle as Christians. I remember... And some of you do as well, I'm no doubt. When you were a young Christian, the vision was always souls, multitudes, am I right? Uh, and, but we've settled. Well, if we just can have enough to have church, we'll be all right. Amen? Because we settle. And you know, in Scotland today, if you have a charismatic or a Pentecostal church, and you have a hundred people coming, you're regarded as being, that's revival, pastor. That's a mega church in Scotland. A hundred folks is a mega church, isn't it? It's close to it. Three hundred is, my goodness, Hillsong has come to Scotland. And folks, there were times when, you know, the driest, dullest, most boring services if they weren't getting running 300 on a Sunday morning, there was, there was an epidemic or something. We know churches of, Scot Church of Scotland, if we give it the plural, where 100 is nothing on a Sunday morning. Easily achievable. And what are they getting taught? Well, we know what they're getting taught. Not much. But they can, they can get 100. But if you're charismatic or Pentecostal, then 100. See, because we've settled... We're content that we sit in churches that we're not filling 10% of the seats, but all the streets around us are full of people going to hell and living wretched lives. And we sing Amazing Grace that saved a wretch like me, but we ignore the wretchedness of those around us. Now, I'm not beating anybody up here. I'm beating myself up if I'm beating anybody up. Because we settle for well 
you know, if we get enough of a crowd to make it worth our while. And that, that permeates, it, 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 I have to be honest, it comes from leaders. But it permeates the body because we say, well, you know, it'd be nice to think of multitudes, but, you know, we're, we're living in the last days and there's a great falling away. Well, folks, you can't fall away if you've never been. Amen? So it's not falling at God that the people don't, folks don't come because there's a great falling away. Folks, they were never here to begin with. They're lost. The lost aren't falling away people. They're people that have never been. But we settle for the fact that if we can just have enough to keep the doors open and the lights on. And by the way, these other lights aren't out because we're saving electricity. That's, that light flickers and it really, really annoys me. Amen. So I don't put that one on. So. But anyway, that's, we settle. Why? Because we don't look to Abraham. And all the, you know, Abraham just wanted that wee boy. And he even went with Hagar to get one. And ended up with an Ishmael. And it's been problems ever since. Amen? In the Middle East. Because he jumped the gun. And he didn't, you know, Abraham is a father of faith. He's an example of faith. But he wasn't always, you know, a great man of faith. He made mistakes. And Ishmael was one, and of course that's what we would say in having an Ishmael. But you know, God has blessings for Ishmaelites too. Amen? But the point I'm trying to say here is this. We look to Abraham because God had a purpose in Abraham, and that was to bless him and increase him. Multiply. Okay? And so Abraham was multiplied. Think of it this, but look at all the believers in the afternoon. Forget all the physical descendants. If you are in Christ, then you're Abraham's seed. So think about it this way. The millions of Christians that came have come into the earth, including you and I, because Abraham was faithful. And that's why God called him. Now I want to show you some Genesis chapter 28. God multiplied Abraham two ways. He multiplied his wealth in fact, let's just look at that first, and then we'll, we can see we've covered that. Genesis chapter 12, go to first. Genesis 12, then we'll go to 20. Genesis 12, now Yahweh had said to Abram, um, and it's interesting, because at this stage, Abram is called Abram, not Abraham. And Abram means high father, or great father. Okay, Abraham was, you know why Abraham was a great father? Because he longed for an heir. He longed for a son. And the Bible says God chose Abraham, or Abram, or Abraham, because he would teach his children after him. He was a covenant man, he understood. But at this stage, he's only high father, Abram. And later on, God made him Abraham, which means father of many nations. Or father of multitudes. And God wants to take us today from being people who uh, birthing multitudes sounds like a great idea, sign me up, to being people who will actually walk in it and function in it. Amen? In other words, getting back to what we used to know 
some of us who've been at Save for quite a number of years, when we used to hear preaching about and teaching that multitudes were on God's heart. And revival, see, revival isn't just that we, that we just have a great time in church, happy, happy, <coughs> get the tambourines out, or, you know, uh, get additions to the praise band, or, you know, we have two-hour meetings instead of one-hour meetings, all that stuff. It's not, it's not revival for our benefit. It's revival so that multitudes come in. So that there's a harvest. Sometimes we shouldn't even call it revival unless we mean harvest because for, God has harvest on his mind. But do we? Or are we just, well, you know, as long as there's enough of us. Anyway, it says, Lord has said to Abram, Yahweh had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. Now, what that means is, I will multiply you till you are a nation. Amen? You can't become a great nation and there's just one of you. You know, I'm my own grandpa. <clears throat> no, there has to be many people to make a nation. There has to be a multitude of people, multitudes even. There are multitudes of people in Britain today, in Scotland today. Not just, you know, us four, no more. You have to be multiplied to be a great. The very first promise: I will multiply you. You become a great nation. I will bless you. Bless doesn't mean I'll send you a greeting card from uh, the Christian bookshop with a nice wee sentence on it and a scripture. That's not what blessing means. Blessing here means to empower, to prosper economically, financially, and in every other area of life. Primary meaning is, I will make you rich. So there's those two things. I'll multiply your possessions, I'll bless you. You know, if you lived at that time and, the, and, and someone says, I'm going to bless you, you weren't expecting to get a Helen Steiner rice greeting card in the mail. You were expecting them to put their hand in their pocket and write you a check or bless you, put a bag of gold in your hands. That's what blessing meant. Uh, and he says, and make your name great. So he says, in, in our modern parlance, I will bless you, I, I will make you rich and famous. Okay? You won't have to go on Love Island. You won't have to become a celebrity and, 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 and you know, or become a, a social media, uh, you know, viral or whatever thing. God will do it for you. See, everybody today chases the money and they chase the celebrity, don't they? They chase the fame. But Abraham didn't have to chase anything. He just had to receive and obey. And you shall be, this is the point of it all, you shall be a blessing. Now, if, if blessing means to enrich, to empower, to prosper, and someone says, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to empower you to prosper, and you will be a blessing, what they're saying is, I'm going to make you rich, and you're going to make a whole bunch of people rich. And you say, well, that's that prosperity gospel. Next you'll be raising funds for a jet. <laughs> yeah? Now, let me tell you, if you have a ministry, you need to travel all over the world and preach. I'm happy to buy you a jet. If you're getting soul saved, body sealed, and doing the work of the gospel. But here's the point, folks. You shall be a blessing. Didn't say... And you shall fleece the flock. 
He meant you will feed the flock. You, I'll make you so rich that the only fun you'll have the money is giving it away and investing and giving to the poor. That's what he, that's what he said to Abraham. And then it says a very short time later, let's just, uh, chapter 13, that it, it, it tells us then that Abraham went down to Egypt for a, a wee holiday. And then verse 13, sorry, chapter 13, verse 1, Abraham went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all he had and lot with him to the south. Abraham was very rich in livestock, silver and in gold. So a few short, a little short time from God promising him it, he's walking in it. And he didn't have to give big to preachers to get it. Amen? And it says he's, he's rich in livestock, which is cattle, silver. Well, these are all the commodities of God. The cattle in the thousand hills are his. The silver and the gold are mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The things that God is rich in, Abraham was rich in. Okay? So anyway, but that he blessed him. He, he gave him the power to get wealth. So we've covered that. And it's a great, and you know, we could, we could launch out in that. We could teach in that. Uh, there's great messages on that that we could get into. And we have done, and we will do. And we might even touch on it again here. But what I want to show you is the multiplication of seed. Because that's where our heart is this morning. We're not sitting here saying, oh, you know, we're here because we want to be rich and all be J.R. Ewing. Amen. If you're old enough to remember who J.R. Ewing is, the ones that are nodding obviously are. <laughs> Amen. God's not saying, I'm going to make you, you know, Billy Big Shot. What he's saying is to Abraham, I'm going to make you rich so that you can be a father to multitudes and you can bless them. Amen. Now you might say, well, you know, we shouldn't really be talking about money. Let me tell you right now, it's not, it's not even money, it's supply. And you say, well, why is that an apt message? It wasn't an apt message maybe 10 years ago when everybody was doing okay with two cars in the driveway, living in a nice house, no worries, no hassle, paying your bills okay. But I just saw a program there and it struck me, it powerfully struck me. I was watching the news the other night, I think it was STV, Scottish News, and there was a, there was a big report on food banks running out of food. I mean, bare, bare shelves in the food banks. Now, two years ago, a year ago, three years ago, oh, these food banks, terrible people have to resort, but the food banks were full of cans, food, you name it. But now they're bare, the shelves are bare, they're empty. Why? Because the people that, are, that were donating to the food banks now are in need of food banks. They can't afford to put in what they put in two, three, four years ago. The people that were donating are now the people that are in need of receiving because this uh, famine, scarcity, shortage, whatever you want to call it, the third horseman, if you want to call him that, is riding in the earth, is riding in Scotland today, and food banks are going beer because famine is in the land, folks. So we're not preaching a prosperity gospel that you can live in a big mansion, drive a fancy Bentley and so on. 
we're preaching supply because we're getting to the stage where even people who are doing okay, doing comfortably, are now not doing okay and not being comfortable. Because famine is in the earth. And it's going to get a whole lot worse. And you know, you can go to fill up your car today, and you go and fill up your car next week, it's going to cost you more. You can go and buy groceries today, and next week it's 40 pence on that tin of whatever it is you bought. And it's coming, and shortages are coming, and certain places in the earth are already feeling it. And on top of that, let's just say, we know that they're burning food production places like crazy, literally, setting them on fire, because they're trying to create famine. You know why? Because the Antichrist Babylonian system that we're living under has one purpose in mind, and that is to impoverish you and bring you into economic slavery. That's it. The Antichrist system will never enrich anybody. It will always make you poor. The Great Reset we're told about. What's that phrase they use? You will own nothing and be happy. Hands up if you will be happy owning nothing. Nobody. But they, they think if they keep telling you that, they're programming you. Now, we're not going to get all political here, we're not going to get into all stuff, that stuff. But they've already put that out there that they don't want you, they don't want you owning a car. We spoke about that before. We're talking about uh, you know, emissions and all these things, and they don't want cars in city centres. Well, they don't want you having a car. They might let you have a bike, but they'll tell you there's a boundary that you can ride around in your tricycle on. Why? Because they're looking for slaves, not free people. See, when, 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 when Moses went to Pharaoh, he didn't say, we're really enjoying life living in Goshen. We're really having fun being slaves. We're really having fun having to get up in the morning and serve your bidding Pharaoh and not be free to serve the Lord. No, he said, the Lord says to you, set my people free. Let my people go free. And folks, that same spirit, that Pharaoh spirit, that Egypt spirit, Babylon, Leviathan, Mammon, Antichrist, is still on the earth today and it's still trying to bring God's people into the house of bondage. And you and I have to understand that God wants us to be free and that includes financially. But what I want to speak about this morning, because again, I said I wouldn't get into too much of that. The harvest. The harvest. Because it's not just us being set free. It's all the folks in this city of Glasgow. It's all the people in Scotland, in the British Isles, across the nations, across the earth. God wants multitudes. He wants a harvest. So Genesis chapter 28, and this is Isaac. This is, this is Abraham's miracle boy. And he he's obviously understands the principle. He's understood the multiplication principle. And I'm no doubt he learned it from his father. So he's now speaking to his son, Jacob. And look what it says. Genesis 28, then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him. He empowered Jacob to prosper with his word. He understood from his father the power of blessing. Okay? And you ought to bless your children like Abraham blessed Isaac, like Isaac blessed Jacob. And Jacob blessed his children. Yeah, I was 
in a shop the other day. And I'm walking behind this woman with this wee boy. And the wee boy says something to his mother. And she said, that's right, son. You are the best wee boy in this world. You're the greatest wee boy there is. And she got on like that. And I was like, whoa. This woman knows how to bless her children. That wee boy's not going to grow up and go, I'm a loser, I'm a failure. That, yeah, I'm, I don't even know if I should be. You know, we're not mocking people with depression and suicide and all that. But folks, a lot of that comes from your parents, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. You'll never amount to anything. You'll never be any good. Amen? This woman, I thought, you, that wee boy's going to grow up and be, be somebody. Because they're just in pre-mark. They're just walking along and he said something and she started shouting at this wee boy. You are the greatest wee boy on this planet. That's what she was talking to him like. I mean, she wasn't nuts, but she understood the blessing. I don't know if she's a Christian, but she understood this. And you know, we spend too many, too much time cursing and deriding. You know, joking's one thing. I'm a bit of a laugh. You know, it's one thing, but folks, we need to be blessing each other. Amen. You know, the Bible says we even need to bless our enemies. Don't know that I'm 100% happy with that. You know, but I don't know if that's a typo. <laughs> but anyway, but blessing. You know why it's so good to bless people? Because there's power in it. And God entrusts us with the power to either bless or curse. So we should be blessed. So he says here, uh, he blessed him, he called Jacob, blessed him, and charged him and said to him, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Paddan Aram, to the house of Bethul, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. Watch this. May God Almighty bless you. There he is, his blessing. And make you fruitful and multiply you. What Isaac is saying to Jacob is, I'm talking to Jacob, but I'm talking to all the seed that's in you, Jacob. And I believe God, the Holy Spirit, is saying to us today, folks, he's not talking just to you and I. He's, saying, he's calling forth the multitudes that are in your spirit and mine that we're pregnant with. And I believe he wants to make us pregnant with multitudes for a great harvest. Uh, you've heard... We've spoke here during the Rise Scotland. I think Stephen Alec have said, we've all said about believing for at least a million souls. Amen? Well, folks, that's a lot of souls. Do we have a million souls? Are we pregnant today in our spirit man with a million souls? That's just Scotland. That's not Britain. That's not the nations. That's just in Scotland. Are you pregnant? Oh, look, let me just say this. Do you want to get pregnant? See, I believe, you know, the, the, uh, the angel Gabriel came to Mary and says, do you want to get pregnant? Because the Holy Spirit will overshadow you and you will have a son. I believe 
believe the Holy Spirit is one who overshadows us today, says, says Jesus. Do you want to birth that million soul harvest you speak about? Do you want to go from being high father, you've got a father's heart, you've, you know, and of course a mother, you know, it's not a, it's not a gender thing. Do you want to, or, because you can go from just talking about it to walking around wherever you are, lying in your bed, going to Asda, going to church, whatever it is you do, and you're walking around with a million soul harvest growing inside you. So remind me a wee bit about we have got Paul Yogi Cho speaking about these things. The fourth dimension. Incubating the things that you desire. We could incubate, you know, we could have desires. You might have a desire for a, a top-of-the-range Mercedes. You might have a desire for a six-bedroom mansion. You might have a desire for whatever it is. And, and some of these things are good, not just physical things, but you might have a, a desire for a, a better family life or, you know, a, a reconciliation with loved ones that you've, you know, estranged from. But folks, isn't it wonderful to think that we can incubate a harvest of many souls? And that's all intercession really is. It's saying, Lord, I want to be pregnant. I want to be pregnant with all those souls that need you and that you become into the kingdom. Okay? So he says to him, may God Almighty bless you, make you fruitful and multiply you. You know how Here's where it starts. It doesn't start with an anointed preacher. It doesn't start with your church. It doesn't start with, you know, whatever. It starts with you. He didn't say to Jacob, or, you know, we'll multiply people. He says, we'll multiply you. Okay? Why? Because you've got Abraham's DNA in you. Abraham is the father of multitudes. So can you be. Sarah was the mother of many nations. So can you be. Because you allow yourself to incubate in you that vision. But you know, that, the devil's going to fight that vision, folks. He's fought it in the church. He's fought that vision. That's why we settled. Because, well, you know, as long as, we're, as, long as we've got a place we can go to, Whereas before we used to burn as young believers, we burned for souls, didn't we? Have we lost that burning? Have we lost that fire? Or do we just even just limit it? Well, as long as my loved ones, as long as my relatives, as long as the folks that matter to me get saved. What about the folks that matter to the Lord? You know, he says here, and give you Watch this, make you fruitful, multiply you, that you may be an assembly of peoples. That's why we're calling this meeting on a Saturday morning, the gathering, because it's a gathering of the peoples. Amen? We're believing that people will come in, not necessarily just in this meeting, but in general, and not just in this place, but in every place where the gospel was going forth, that Glasgow would flourish. By the praise of the Lord and the praise of his name. What is the result of that? The result is fruit, folks. It's harvest. It's victory Christian centre being filled. It's the church that you go to being filled. It's this place being filled. It's every meeting. Uh, standing room only. 
It's the vision David saw of the street being filled. And he said to me, it's not just this place, that it's other places. That you may be an assembly of peoples. And give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you that you may inherit the land. Folks, multiplying people to us. Multiplying seed. And multiplying wealth. But it's not wealth just so that we can all be tycoons and all that. It's wealth so that we can fund a move of God. You know, wow. It's never, you know, I, I, you, if you watch God TV, I watch it. And they're talking about, you know, they need money. Be a media missionary, yeah? Let's go beyond being media missionaries and prosper so much that we buy media channels. So that they're no longer pumping out filth. And pornography and wokeism or buying companies you know we went shopping the other day and it had all this stuff in the windows all this pride stuff and i thought i'm not going to buy anything from that shop. i thought if i do that with all these shops i'll not be buying anything but you know if you bought the company you could just say hey i'll tell you what's going in the window the biggest open bible you've ever seen amen and if people say, I'm not going to buy in at that shop because you're all uh, fundamentalist Christian freaks. Well, we don't need your money anyway. We can give it away because God has prospered us and we're going to be a blessing. So if you do need stuff and you're going to need stuff in the current famine and you need the food and you need clothing, then come in and get it. But you have to accept a free Bible with it and you have to accept a gospel track with it and you have to sit and listen to Pastor Bill's wonderful messages for half an hour and then you can walk out the door with your free stuff. Amen? <clears throat> you see, if you had the economic clout, do you know, let me tell you, I'll do this. I need to watch my time. There's one other thing I want to show us before we close, but I just want to share this. The Lord's put this in my heart. This place has been going for 156 years, 57 years, 157 years. And I, I, I used to read a lot about the, this place, you know, the history of it. At its peak, 20,000 children in Glasgow attended a Foundry Boys meeting. They had some accounts say 89 branches, some accounts say more than branches in England, everything. Okay, this place was not this, I don't mean this church. There were branches throughout. 20,000 at its peak children. That wasn't even the adults. That's just the children. Okay? One man who helped to found the Foundry Boys, uh, I believe he went to a DL Moody meeting was inspired, he personally led over 11,000 children to the Lord. Think about that. That, that, that. I mean, that's a bigger crowd than party. That's okay. <laughs> he meant that's not hard. But think about that. That was, that, he, he, didn't, he didn't have a YouTube channel. He didn't have a Facebook page. That was, that was before all that. Why? Because the Holy Ghost moved. I believe that's why God made me the pastor here, because that heritage, that well. And here's the, the glorious news, that was just one of many children's works in Glasgow at the time. 
Folks, we have a heritage of harvest. I don't just mean here, I mean in Scotland. Don't we? Revivals, renewals, over and over. That's our heritage. And I believe the Lord's saying, look to the pit from which you were dug. Look to the rock from which you were hewn. Look to that rich seam, that heritage that we have. Anyway, we need to press on. I want to just close. Uh, there's other things I could say, but I want to close with this because we sang about Amazing Grace. We sang when we've been there 10,000 years. And, you know, I kind of had a wee smile on my face when we sang that because Revelation chapter 7, I want to show you this. I want to just get a little bit scientific with you just in the few minutes we've got left. What is time? What is time in relation to eternity? We talk about time. We say, oh, well, the great end time harvest, which means a harvest is coming. But how will it come and where is it? We think, well, it's going to, it's going to, God's going to call all these people. They're all going to come to him. That's true, I believe, that in the timeline. But here's what I want to say to you. The relation of time to eternity. The Bible tells us that Jesus was crucified and we know historically that that happened about 2,000 years ago. Yeah? But the Bible says it happened before the foundation of the world. So what's the relation of time to eternity? Here's the point of trust. Let's just say that this, this, this is quite a good illustration. This here is the timeline in history. Okay? So that's the beginning of time. In the beginning. Okay, that's the beginning of time. And that's the end of time here. So that's the timeline. Okay? So at some point in that timeline, Jesus was crucified. At some point in that timeline, the children of Israel came out of the promise, uh, came into the promised land. Jesus was crucified on this timeline. But the Bible says that before the foundation, he was already slain. Why? Because all around the timeline is eternity. So it's an eternal truth that Jesus is the crucified He's the crucified one eternally. At any point in eternity. Eternity is everything that's around this timeline. So Jesus was crucified before this timeline even showed up in a sense. That makes sense. I don't understand it. It's a mystery. But we know from Scripture that it's so. So things that are in eternity are not subject to time. So we have an eternal condition, an eternal state that is not subject to the timeline. The Bible says we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Heavenly places is eternity. And it says we are seated there now. You might be stumbling along here somewhere, I don't feel seated in eternity or heavenly places. I feel as if I'm under the barrel, the barrel's on top of me and people are jumping up and down in the barrel. I don't feel victorious. I don't feel like a king. I don't feel, you know, but you are because your feelings don't. Feelings are limited to the timeline. Amen. Every problem and trial in life you ever have is on the timeline, is in this dimension. You don't have any problems in eternity unless you went into eternity and you weren't saved. 
then you'll know what trouble really is. But as believers, we don't have any trouble in eternity. We don't have any... But a lot of times we look from here and put it off to the future. That's a future thing. That's a future thing. No, it's an eternal thing. And the eternal realm is always present tense. Isn't it? Now, we don't have our glorified bodies yet here on earth. But it's an eternal truth that we have our glorified bodies. Amen? So, I, I, you know, a, a lot of it, the mind struggles to catch up. But what I want to show you is if Revelation 7, look at this and we'll close with this, folks. Verse 9. After these things I looked, this is John, uh, looking into the spirit, if you like. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number. Remember I said to you what, what Jesus sees is what we need to see. Jesus saw a great harvest. The field's ripe for harvest. He says, you guys, well, you guys say it's four months. I see it now. Why? Because Jesus was looking from an eternal perspective. I, I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number. Of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes. Now, we're here, let's just say we're here in the timeline. And we read that and go, that's still future, don't we? That's what we say. We say, that's future. That's going to happen. That's going to happen in the future. But, folks, that's in eternity. It's, it exists right now in eternity. Because Eternity is not subject to the timeline. But I don't understand that. You don't have to. You just have to receive it by faith. There's a great multitude around the throne. And you know, a lot of what we, we talk, we majesty, worship his majesty. When we sing that, we're in the throne, we're worshipping him. And we worship Jesus on the throne, don't we? And, you know, we're looking at Jesus and we're worshipping him, Father. Lord Jesus, we worship you, Father, we worship you. And I believe that today the Lord is turning around and saying to us, turn around and look and you'll see a great multitude around that throne. Because that great multitude is an eternal reality just as the Lamb being slain is an eternal reality. It didn't just happen in the timeline. It's an eternal reality. So is that great multitude. And Jesus said, pray that thy kingdom come, pray that thy will be done, and that multitude is his will. So folks, I'm going to ask you a scientific question. You don't have to answer that. But I would ask you to ponder. When we ask for stuff like the great multitude and harvest to appear. Are we asking God to do something in the timeline, in the future, that one day we'll see? Or are we asking him to manifest what already is in eternity? Because we see a multi, oh, it's in the future. Somebody's going to come along. God's going to raise up another Billy Graham or a few of them. Louis Palau. We're going to have crusades. We're going to have revival. You know, uh, and, and there'll be a mighty move of God and, and all these people are going to come in. Now, in the timeline, that's, that's true. But is, is it just God manifesting 
and the timeline got already is my eternity. You say, but that's too much for my mind to comprehend. Well, you know what? I believe the Lord is in the business of blowing our minds and thinking. That's why we need our minds renewed. I can't explain the interaction between time and eternity, which I could, and, and, and God has given me increasing revelation of it, I'm sure he has with you too. But folks, we don't need to understand it, we just need to... I don't understand how your body can be healed, or my body can be healed. I don't understand how you can have a tumour, and you speak to it, and it disappears. I don't understand a lot of these things. They're mysteries and secrets, but folks, you don't have to understand how a kettle works. Amen, protons and all that, and leptons. And you don't have to understand all that. You just need to switch the kettle on and pour yourself. Amen. So folks, you and I just need to see, Lord, thank you for this great multitude. Standing before the throne. I see it in your word, and therefore I know if it's in your word, it's a reality eternally. I, I don't know how time and, and eternity intersect, but I know that you've told me, because John saw this 2,000 years ago. So it was a reality 2,000 years ago. Has anything changed in heaven? Have all these folks died off, moved somewhere else? No. He's asking us to believe for multitudes because, folks, multitudes are what's on his heart and multitudes are what's in his presence. And I know that there has to be, you know, because you and I are among these multitudes, aren't we? I'll just, I'll close with this. Sorry for it be going on. Remember Paul says, I know a man that went to heaven and I don't know if it was in the body or out. He says, but this man saw things that are not lawful to utter. You, you can't, you can't say what this man... It's taught about himself, we know that. He says, I cannot say what I saw. It wouldn't, I'm not allowed to speak it. Now, has anybody ever had a vision from the Lord, or the Lord said something to you, and said to you, do not tell anybody about this? I've had that. Don't, don't share this. With anybody. Well, I've had that, and I know other people have too. And then one day the Lord says, see that thing I showed you? I told you not to share it. You can share it now. I've had that happen to me several times. And I know other people have too. Not just pastors or preachers. People get that. You can share that now. I don't know why, so what changed. But, so you start sharing it. Now, when Paul had that experience that he went to heaven and the Lord, he saw things that I can't say. You know, you, you know preachers love to do that, don't they? Keep you, keep you on a hook. Well, I went to heaven last night, folks. Oh, wow. What happened? Ha, can't really say. Can't tell you. Love to tell you, but not allowed. You know, come back next week and maybe the Lord will have released me. But when he said that, he says, it's not lawful. But when he wrote that, later on, I believe I'm right in saying this. This is just a theory of mine, so I don't put it as doctrine or whatever. But later on, after he wrote that in Corinthians, he wrote uh, the epistle to the Ephesians. I believe it was a later epistle. Okay? 
But in that epistle to the Ephesians, he said, you do know that we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Didn't he? We're seated in heavenly places together with Christ. You think, well, wait a minute. You're here talking to us, Paul, writing this way. You're here enough. But, and I'm here enough, but we're seated with Christ. Yeah. How can that be? Well, that's a great, I mean, that's a wonderful. It's called bilocality, by the way. You can be in more than one place at one time. Spiritually. But this is what I believe. I believe when Paul went to heaven in Corinthians and said, I saw things, that I, I, it's not lawful to tell you. I believe he went to heaven and saw himself in heaven seated with Christ. That's what I believe. And then later on the Lord says to him, you can tell folks that. He didn't say, well, I, I, that's what I saw. He says, we're all there. We're all seated with Christ. Why? Because that's our eternal reality. We're on the timeline in our physical bodies, but we're also in eternity as part of the cloud of witnesses, aren't we? As part of Mount Zion, an innumerable company on Mount Zion. I'm here today on this little hillock here in Glasgow speaking to you, but I'm also in Mount Zion, and guess what? So are you guys. Well, I, I don't understand that. There's a lot you don't understand, and neither do I. But I, I tell you what, if you're not on Mount Zion right now, then you need to be, so get saved. Amen? Well, that's it. Folks, I just wanted to share these things because I believe God is saying to us, every one of us, he wants to multiply. The Lord make you, Deuteronomy chapter 1, a thousand times more than you are. God has multiplication on his heart for us. And it's not so that we can be, you know, great, uh, great men and women. It's so that we can have many sons and daughters. God wants to multiply. You know, and I will close here. We should talk a lot about discipleship. We don't talk about discipleship much anymore. But my understanding of discipleship was always this. That when you make a disciple, you, you literally copy yourself and clone yourself. Amen? As you're following him and you're a disciple, then other people are following you and they're disciples. Amen? Being imitators, Paul says, of me as I imitate Christ. In other words, we're photocopies in many ways, aren't we? Disciples just... Well, that's a guy's a disciple of Jesus. How do I know that? He acts like Jesus. He talks like Jesus. He's got Jesus' faith. He's got Jesus' love. You can see the guy follows Jesus. And then, see that guy there? He follows the guy that follows Jesus. And he's just the same. It's just, they're like clones. God wants to multiply. See, discipleship really is multiplication. Isn't it? It's not just, well, I made a disciple. That's so good. I made one person in my whole life a disciple of Jesus. No, folks. We want much fruit, don't we? And you're not, you're not necessarily going to jump on a uh, platform and speak to 100,000 people in a, in a, in a meeting, um, but you can pray. And you can be faithful, and maybe one day you will be in that platform. You know, there's going to come a time where, see, the Lord wants to multiply us. And you can start off, that's why Jesus says, 30 fold, 60 fold, 100 fold. 
Because we don't all have to start off being right hand bonky. Not ever, right? Not everybody got to have George Jeffries lay hands on them. Amen. But we can start off being ourselves and allowing God to multiply us, allowing that blessing of multiplication to be so deep in us that it starts to show up in our lives. I need to close it there, folks. The Lord bless you. Let's just have a word of prayer as we close.